0: and and database reports and such. Well, saying, hey, listen, if you got, just take one thing away. And so I think that, you know, you can overwhelm a lot of people with a lot of content through training. Um, But if at the end of the day, you're saying, listen, focus, if you do one thing, just go ahead and do something, go back to your office, implement one thing, instead of saying, wow, there's a lot, there's all types of things I need to do. And you get overwhelmed and you just go back into what you were doing before the training. Um, And I think, you know, doing focus, you can uh, probably improve those numbers
1: Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Welcome back to a new Product Growth Leaders topic of the week. This week, what we're going to be talking about is product management professional development. Uh, we got a great panel today, Uh, Jason, John, Steve, thank you guys for joining us. And we're going to dive right in and start talking about, and I'm going to make the slide bigger and make me go away just for a little bit. Uh, If I can figure out how to do that. Here we go. Uh, what was your most valuable product management, professional development experience? This is what we started the week with. And, uh, the question wise, and, and, you know, Jason, he, yeah, after a rough spot there for a while, Jason's back and getting in there first thing. And he came out with pragmatic marketing certification. He was new to product management leadership and the course kicked off his understanding of the role in a software company. Now we did some follow-up questions. Who was that teacher, Jason?
0: Um, I believe you might have heard of him. It was Steve Johnson.
1: Ah, oh, Steve Johnson. I've heard he's pretty yeah. good.
0: Yeah. I, I heard. Where, where was this good. class given, Jason? <laughs> where did I take the class? That's good. That's a good question. I think it was in Boston. No, I think it was either in like Raleigh or possibly even in like DC area. I
2: yeah, there was a decade there where I was doing Boston every month and Raleigh every other month and. Uh, The DC area, like every three months.
3: Yeah. So it was pretty wild. Sorry, tangenting, but did you teach in Atlanta, Steve?
2: I did occasionally. But uh, after a while, we hired a guy in Atlanta, John Cottrell. So he typically did training down there.
1: So it it was, I think, for all of us, at least on this call, pragmatic marketing was a monumental point, whether it's becoming the first outside instructor and the person to lead the, you know, be the lead. instructor and developer of the, of the slide deck that all of us, in 2008, when you guys took it, 2010, when I took it, uh, that there's no brainer that it was, it, you know, practical product management and uh, requirements that work, you know, uh, it, it was a great course for us. I'm gonna, you know, let's see if I can keep doing good with this too. The second answer we got, and it was from John, first real product management job was very eye-opening and impactful. Learning what product management actually was, had not heard of it before. Part of that was taking pragmatic marketing. Both of you guys took it in 2008. I, I found that interesting, or both of you had memories from 2008. I almost used that as a subheader, but I didn't. A uh, number of other product managers are taking They had the placemat. Oh, that's a typo. I should say placemat, not placement on the wall.
3: <laughs> Stupid autocorrect. Yes, placemat.
1: So John, if I remember correctly, you have a uh, background in mechanical engineering, right?
3: No. I was. I was a computer, computer engineer turned management major at Georgia Tech.
1: I, I, I guess the point was you were Georgia Tech. I would have thought that a computer engineer person at Georgia Tech would have been would have known product management.
3: I don't think the term was quite as popular when I was at Tech back in the early nineties. So,
1: I guess that's true. Late nineties was when it started coming around. Yeah, when, when at least I, I learned about it. And you know, Steve, let's talk about you know in. For me, I actually learned pragmatic marketing through the framework, through the, you know, anybody who took pragmatic marketing got the 37 box uh, framework. Uh, I've, you know, talk to me, Steve, about how that became a viral thing to help with product management, professional development. I mean, it seemed like that was a lead thing that people talked about and it got more people interested in. If we're talking about the history of product management, professional development.
2: You're talking about the, the, the placemat, right? Yeah. The framework? <clears throat> my recollection of the story um, is uh, Craig Stull was my boss at, uh, uh, well, at a company. And uh, he and, well, no, I'll do it another way. Um, I was working with a guy named Jim Butler, who was a technical, super technical guy. He used to be a developer. I used to be in sales. Um, and we were kind of stepping on each other. And what was really happening was the sales were going to one of us, not getting the answer they liked and going to the other of us to see if they could get a better answer. So, um, we had a a meeting with Craig and and he said, well, let's write down everything you're supposed to be doing. And we came up with 37 things and, uh, Jim was more technical. So he took the technical things and I was more sales and marketing. So I took the marketing things and, uh, we finished this, you know, prototype of what's now the framework and Craig shared it with some others in, uh, the executive ranks and it went viral within the company. I mean, everybody is going crazy over this thing because they'd never had one crisp definition of the scope of, of the job. And, uh, then he, uh, then he said, you know, this is super popular within this company. I wonder if it's popular in other companies. And so he shared it with some more and more and more people. And finally he said, You know, I think there's a business here.
1: And he started doing publics, right?
2: And so the first thing he did was he started doing public seminars here in DC where he lived at the time. Uh, and I was there at the first session, took the day off from work and came and sat in the back of the room, took notes. And uh, a bunch of, I think we had 12 people maybe in the first session. And, uh, you know, it was it was pretty stellar. And a couple of years goes by and he says, you know, dude, I'm making a living. You should come join me full time. So that's how I came to be part of Pragmatic.
1: I remember Craig telling a story about them laminating the, the placemats in their house until it got to the point where they were doing enough. They decided to make a bulk purchase. But all of a sudden now, 37 activities is the magic number no matter how it changes it still has to be 37
2: exactly exactly um but you know what was really interesting is we had a sit down with a professional marketer you know uh we were doing some i guess we were planning the first brochure and the marketer goes well you know i'll tell you what don't ever show anybody this chart because that's the secret sauce that's the magic you shouldn't be giving that shit away and i'm like no i completely disagree this is the thing that will drive people to the training class and sure enough i was right so we we put it as in a you know a centerfold in the brochure uh and emphasized it in everything we did. And everywhere we went, we gave them out. I mean, even before I was part of Pragmatic, I had a stack of those cards that I would hand out to anybody.
1: No, I, when I was at IHS, the first time I knew Pragmatic Marketing, uh, my head of marketing, I was a director of product that he was a director of marketing. We had a senior vice president who didn't came from PepsiCo, like didn't know software or B2B. And he brought me the thing and he said, let's just look at this i'm going to give a circle on the right side and tell ernesto that's what i do and i'm going to circle the left side and tell ernesto that's what you do are you okay with that and then i started reading the the magazine and it sort of took off from there uh
2: So, John texts us, we all stop talking to see what John has
1: to say. <laughs> well, I
3: was just saying that I think Steve needs a cozy, warm living room fireplace background. Yeah, yeah.
1: The oh, there, we so, we will work, there we go. We will go. work on that. So, let's get back to. Uh, well, I could
2: put a fire on my TV and then turn so you could see the TV. <laughs> but I had a yeah. sharp way over there.
1: All right. Let's all right. That's back definitely back something we'll be editing we out later that, on. get into that third answer. A mentor from another division. This is actually from uh, Glenn Pride. who was a first time I think he's responded to the Monday question. And actually I took pragmatic marketing with him when I finally took it. He was, we were at the same company. I don't think he's talking about me, either, though, uh, a mentor from another division who befriended me, they were objective and allowed me to see the proper boundaries between other teams, which sometimes gets kind of blurry in a large company. So understanding that role, right? Where the boundaries are, how you hand stuff out uh, really, really important thing to do. Let's get to the second page. I was hoping that, uh, Rob or Greg would be on here today with us. Uh, my, name, my answer was here. I, when I took it in becoming an instructor, there were valuable experiences. I had a great mentor sort of resonating those, two, for the, those first three, but it was actually having a project where I implemented it that actually made, it, made sense to me, right? We, I was doing a turnaround and I started going and talking to customers and listening to them. And I ended up building a strategy based on how the markets had changed and where they evolved. And that, that, you know, I was doing market-focused product management before even having the title. I was a director of marketing at the time. So for me, it, it starts getting into the application of it. Uh, Greg Fenton is, what was the next answer. I was thrown into the, as the head of systems architecture, software integration for a complex navy system, and basically. This is interesting because the way he's talking about what he did with the Navy and the system makes me think about how product management is becoming more viable in project-based companies, the internal project IT teams, building stuff because that's, he was dealing with stakeholders. He was dealing with budgets internally in selling things to, get, to understand the needs to get them done. Uh, but he also believes that moving into product management, with uh, starting with a 101, not a 1010. God, I did it early this morning. I should have had my coffee first uh what was a key way to go I'd like to use this just as a chance right now to show myself again uh Steve let's talk about product management in an IT system and how you're we're seeing more and more of them embrace the concept of product management and how product development could be key for that
2: yeah I'd say over the last 10 years but certainly very much over the last two I've gotten more and more requests from people who say, you know, we're, we've come to realize two things. One is we have finally got Agile working and we realize we can now build the wrong thing faster than ever. And so now we're ready to go upstream. You know, we, we really need to make sure that we're building the right thing. That's one aspect. And the other is they've come to realize that projects never end. I mean, even something simple, like we're implementing uh, Marketo, we're implementing Salesforce. Okay, there's no end of that. You don't say, okay, fine, it's installed, walk away. Because as soon as you get it implemented, there's enhancement requests, there's new updates, there's you know all sorts of changes you have to make. And just like in product management, there's 10 times as many more requests than there are resources. So we need somebody to do those things that you would expect us to do, you know, have a vision for what we're trying to accomplish, a prioritization scheme to make sure we're working on the most important things. Just because one sales guy asked for a feature doesn't make it a good idea unless it affects all, you know, customers or all users. Um, So it actually goes way back. The first time I really went down this path is I was doing a training for the Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints. And it was in Salt Lake City. And I had a great time. But beforehand, I called them. I'm like, you know, are are we going to be okay here? I mean, I'm going to be talking about running this like a business. And they're like, Oh, yeah, we're on board with that. Um, Super group of people had such a great time. And I'm like, I don't know if some of this stuff applies to you. You know, like, do you need a launch plan? And they're like, absolutely need a launch plan. You know, we're introducing new things. We need all of the wards and uh, to to embrace them and understand how to get them. And uh, it was just fascinating to me. And for my first experience working with, you know, central IT, if you will, that they were already a decade ago, maybe even 15 years ago, thinking of product rather than project management.
1: John, I'd like to go to you. I, 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 and I don't know. This is me asking a discovery question. In your time with uh, leading Agile, did you guys uh, have, when you were consulting, were you consulting with professional, with all products teams in a product organization, or did you work some with uh, IT departments a, that were doing Agile that needed to figure out product management?
3: It was a little more the latter, um, or product groups that existed within those IT organizations as part yeah. of a broader transformation. Um, how how did you see thing... that
1: transformation happening with?
3: Go ahead. Ask the question again. Sorry.
1: I was going to say, how did you see that? Tra- how did you help them with that transformation? How did you help them develop into a better?
3: Gotcha. Yeah. So to Steve's point at the beginning there about they're just doing the wrong things faster uh, with the agile d- development part of the transformation. Um we came in and created a series of frameworks, uh, and trainings, and things like that to sort of help product organizations slot into agile development organizations. Uh, there's a lot of mindset shift, change management that has to happen there because, again, like like some of these other orgs we've been talking about, they were project focused. Yeah. Um, You know, they would literally like create a team for a period of time for a project and then that team would dissolve after the project was over and we're like that's actually never going to happen again like you're going to create teams around capabilities or lines of business or something. And they're going to continue to work on those things basically forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you know there's that sort of organizational shift that happens and then there's a whole mindset shift because again people would get budget for a project. So you have to change the way even money flows in the organization when you start making these shifts. Yeah.
2: And, you know, it also really invites everybody to think, oh, these resources are not fungible. It just just drives me insane that people go, oh, let's take a developer or a product manager or whatever from this thing and put them on that thing. And there's no need for domain knowledge or, you know, historical anything. And we're not making widgets here. Yeah. Right. So it, it just it's I, I continue less and less, but I do continue running into people who say, you know, they're constantly shifting their product teams, you know, moving product managers around, adding and removing developers from teams. And I'm like, every time you do that, you're you're completely stopping the team from getting anything done. And they're like, oh, no, no, no we haven't found that to be true. I'm like, oh, well, go talk to your developers and you'll find
3: that that actually is true. Stop doing that and see if it doesn't get better.
2: Right.
1: Like, yeah. Right. Exactly. Jason, I want to go to the, this last line from from Greg. Moving into product leadership, anyone brand new to product management, I have taken a product management course, starting with a one hundred and one, not a ten ten. <laughs> this gives them grounding from where they can go to teach. You talked about how for you, you came into a product leadership role and you used it to give yourself that grounding. As you bring new product managers on or you see new people come, what's the recommendations you give? Is is that the, sort of the same standard?
0: Yeah. So there's two things. Um, you know, it really depends on budgets. I've always worked for kind of smaller organizations that for some reason or another, are not a huge fan of formal training. Um, so, you know, at the very minimum, there is, there are a couple of books. I actually liked a, a book. I know it's very kind of simplified, but it's, um, it's product management for dummies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really nice because it, in, in a very easy to understand, no theory, theoretical, you know, mumbo jumbo and Algorithms, it's really kind of this is a product management, this is the role, this is what they do. So I'll at least get everybody who comes into an organization, product management, product owners to read that book or have that book as a utility. Um, and then, uh, yeah, of course, you know, the fight for them to get more formal training. It's just, it's, it's, a, it could be a bit of an upward battle um, just because yeah. uh, a lot of times uh, HR or training departments, they just don't understand necessarily the benefit of this training. Uh, I'm not sure why. Um, I think they prefer uh, maybe more around IT-centered training for like AWS training or something like that. Maybe that that has a perception of more tangible results, but but yeah, definitely fight for for training programs. I would definitely recommend that. I I have done that before when it was able, but at the very least, uh, some intro to product management. Um, I'll do, um, you know, Inspired or something like that you know, something that just gives an overall view of how a product management team should be organized in order to be uh, most efficient. And then the most important piece, like we talked about earlier, John and and Steve, is prioritization. Um, So when, because as soon as a product manager gets thrown into the field, you know, the requests are coming in um, and that can be very daunting if they don't know how to handle and prioritize those. And so-
1: Triage skills.
0: (laughs) Yeah, triage skills. um, I've done, uh, tuned in um, to kind of keep keep that kind of simple. Yeah. Um, based on the organizations I, I, I was in. So getting them to appreciate how to um, do basic prioritization of those things. Yeah,
1: yeah. and we're going to talk a little bit more about sort of the divide with HR and professional development and some of our questions. But, you know, it, it's, it's key. John, you have to say?
3: Yeah, yeah. So to, to build on what the, the end of that quote and then what Jason was talking about, when I, the first time I was tasked with creating product management at a company, uh, once I found my humans, uh, we went through the pragmatic marketing class in 2011
1: yeah.
3: uh, together to give them some kind of a framework, uh, a way of uh, a shared vocabulary and a way of yep. thinking about it together as a team. Mm-hmm. And it was easier to get approval for, even though we were a relatively small company, uh, because there was a, an alleged certification at the end. <laughs> Um, like this, you know, pretend stamp of approval, as opposed to just if I was paying for you to meet classes or something, right?
1: Yeah. No, we've, so, we 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 have got a white paper. Steve and I have been working. I don't know if I shared it with either of you guys yet. We've started to share it with a couple people. Uh, and one of the things we found in our research was that a lot of training classes are purely for the, the certification. It's it's not the people aren't worrying about even adding the skills to their portfolio. They're just trying to check that that mark. Uh, get that shield or get the CPEs if it's a, it's one of the professions that has has those types of things.
3: Well, the crazy uh, irony, I've done pragmatic marketing. I've done uh, Scrum Alliance and and uh, the safe stuff.
0: Yeah.
3: And in all cases, you go to the class and at the end of the class, you get the certification. Like there's never, I guess it's safe. You have to take a test. Mm-hmm. But pragmatic, to take a is test. The, is there
1: a test in pragmatic? Yeah. I don't remember the test. 25 questions, 80%. Not
3: 2010.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so you no, got, you did 2011. Yeah, 2011 so,
3: we, I remember taking the test with my team, actually, now that you yeah. say.
1: Well, now, now they've got five or six tests for each class.
2: Yeah, they have a I, test for
3: each class. I think that gives it yeah. slightly more gravitas and uh, keeps you engaged if you know there's a reason you have to pay attention uh, because you won't get the certificate at the end. So,
1: yeah. That's a good good, good way to think about it. All right, the final page here, this was actually from Rob Goldberg. When he made his transition from Wall Street to product, and I was hoping to be on here so I could make fun of, why would you leave Wall Street and go into product? But, (laughs) uh, especially in the late 80s, uh, he had the honor of working with really strong product people at Pirelli Tires to pattern himself, uh, didn't know anything about product, they helped him take his analytical skills to apply them. And then his transformation came at Duracell where he had some really great coaching and mentoring, and then he actually went on to teach uh, and this is see one, do one, teach one, uh, as a great process. And I, actually, I, there was some follow up uh, conversation with uh, Greg and I on this one. Maybe one of the topics we need to do is product management for software versus product management management for consumer or other hard goods, and the differences. Because you know, I I, I see Rob, and I think he works at a big software company, and his start was at a battery company and a tire company in product management so you know some some of those skills which are going to transfer regardless of your your form factor and medium and what you, what you're doing i thought was interesting and and his quote made me really think about the what we used to attribute to ben franklin and i did i did my research as i always do to find sourcing and it's more of a chinese prob- proverb tell tell me and i will forget show me and i will remember involve me and i will understand and, and Through each of the stuff we talked about, uh, to me, it seems like that's a key thing. The the more we can get people engaged, learn from a project, have a mentor, engage people and work on applying it, that's going to be a key part of what's going on. Steve, what's your take?
2: Well, you know, I I, I have a strong software background, of course, I mean, my whole career. Uh, And as I'm doing courseware development now, and I, I do find myself Sliding so easily into referring to developers or you know referring to software, um, and yet one of my be- one of my favorite projects over the last five years is working with a life sciences company, and they don't have software. I mean you know everything we talked about. Uh, I'm like, I don't know if this applies here. And they're like, oh, yeah, it totally does. I mean, you know, we have customers, and we have requirements, and we tell stories, and we have problems that we're trying to solve. And, you know, just the whole language of it applied to a non-software business. Um, And yet, even even as I, you know, talk about it, I'm always, you know, I'm skewing towards software in the way I talk about things. So it's almost like, we could go through my courseware again with a different instructor who had a you know, hard goods background and they could use the same slides. They would just tell different stories.
1: Yeah. no, no and, and some of the stuff I do with smaller companies through Vista, my speaking at Vistage and stuff is taking pure product management concepts and making them relevant to a CEO owner of a $10 million mm-hmm. business. They don't call I, did it a,
2: I did a gig with a a, a really cool company called Laird. Uh, they make um, remote controls for trains. So imagine, you know, you're trying to put together a train. You've got cars all over the train yard. In the old days, you'd have to run over to these various trains. Now you stand up in a tower with a remote control and you just move the engines around and fetch the cars that you need. And I'm like, this is so cool. That sounds like a dream Every, <laughs>
3: every boy's dream
2: yeah exactly (laughs) right right and yet you know there were all sorts of interesting stories in there like uh if you drop the remote or if you fall down all brakes on all things lock because you don't want a car just you know wandering through (laughs) the train yard you know and and yet in the end, it, you know, it was a fascinating discussion. But in the end, it was like, hey, wait, it's the same thing. It's still personas and problems and you know, whatever. Uh, and I was doing a session with their leadership. And afterwards, the head of HR came over and said, could you give this same speech to my HR team? And I'm like, why? What do you people do? I mean, I thought all HR did was cut our benefits every year and protect the executives from sexual harassment suits. And she said, well, you know, we do that, but we also do some other things. And so I ended up speaking with the HR team, and they were like, you know what, we have these same things, right? We have personas that we're serving, our employees and our communities. And, you know, it was just fascinating that the language of what I think of as the language of software product management is really just the language of, I don't know, management,
1: yeah, solving problems and, and solutions. I mean, I, I Steve, you know, you know, I in my work with HR executives in in a, my previous job, I, I I sat in meetings. I'm like, wait, they're talking about agile, they're talking about requirements, they're talking about, you know, segmentation. It it, it really it really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. So, with that, let's get to our poll. Let me make this full and hide myself for a second. So the poll on Wednesday, if you had the budget to invest in a product management professional development for a team of five to 10, where would you spend that money in live product management training, got two votes and hands-on workshop got four votes. We didn't get any votes for on-demand, product management training, coaching, other and share. I'm going to, you know, my vote showing up here, Jason, where did you vote? Uh,
0: I vote in hands-on workshops.
1: Okay. Why, why, why hands-on workshop?
0: I saw you voted
1: on hands on workshops. You can't see where I voted when you vote. Okay. Uh,
0: (laughs) Good call. Good call. Uh, Yeah. So I don't know. I've had experience on on both kind of the training. And, um, you know, I think that the the way product management has been most effective in when I've been either doing training or been a part of the training with my groups has been, you know, working through real problems that we're having with templates. Um, and um, trying to do prioritization with real problems, and just kind of getting hands on, see where you end up, gives you an idea to do a retrospective because where you fail is where you, where you do the most learning, and you're just not going to get that experience just through you know um, a lecture course or or something like that. You actually have to get hands on in order to kind of um, show where you're doing some missteps in order to
1: improve. I I, co- I completely agree, and obviously I voted for this one as well. For me, I actually think I learned more about product management and even pragmatic marketing. When I was helping people as a consultant implement it. And you see so many different shades of ways and it's gonna be different for everybody, but once you get people working on it, it opens your eyes and it starts making it real, not just something that's on a slide that somebody talks about Mm -hmm. Uh, completely. See one,
2: do one, teach one.
1: Yeah. Or the, the the Chinese proverb, right? Tell me and I forget, show me and I remember, uh, involve involved me. I, I learn, right, yeah. John? Which did you vote on this one?
3: I actually didn't because I was so torn. Every time I would go to the page, I'd be like, ah. <laughs> and so uh, you know, the ambiguity got me lame. Uh, I would. I was waffling between hands-on workshop and coaching um, because essentially, the coaching is the on-site version of the hands-on workshop to me. Like yep. that's people coming and watching you do the real thing, helping adjust the way you do the real thing so that you get that that same uh, doing the learning kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but it, I guess some of it probably depends on this, the maturity, of the organization and the, the, the individuals you're trying to get trained up. So,
1: yeah, I, I, Greg had talked about the teaching people to fish. You know, I remember the first time as a product leader where I had a product manager who I was at that crossroads where I could either catch the balls he was dropping and do it for him, or I could teach him how to do it and do it properly. And I'm so glad I made the second choice, right? Because you, you, when you start becoming a product leader, it's hard to scale if you're catching all your team's balls. And this happened to be in, in, in you know, a financial building pro formas and that type of stuff and doing projections for the, for a three-year business plan. But once you can teach some of those things, and so to your point, you know, their coaching and hands-on workshops have a lot of, there's a dovetail there in, in, in the value you're getting uh, and how you're going to do that? Because you could argue that my coaching for him was a hands-on workshop because I was teaching him how to do write a you know a three-year pro forma uh, and build yeah. it and build the assumptions for that. Uh, I think I mean, hands-on. If, if no good. No, you go.
3: If, and if uh, to my earlier story about the company where I created product management, like I would probably start with live product management training just to give a baseline. Yep. And then as we evolve, move to hands-on workshops, and evolve, go to coaching. Uh, for the continuous improvement thing,
1: so I I I completely and totally agree. Uh, Steve, where did you vote? Did you vote?
2: I think I voted for hands on, but you know I I agree with what John just said, and 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 it, it really has to do with with two factors. I mean, the it there's scale and there's there's um, implementation. Um, I mean. If you're trying to get a lot of people up to speed quickly, you can communicate a lot of data in a six-hour class for forty people. Yeah. But if you want to try and you know actually apply it, then you need like one instructor and maybe ten people who are working in two cohorts or something. And once you get into more advanced levels, it's like you no, know, I need I need to have a one-on-one conversation with an expert. Um, and you know, it's kind of like what you really want for your kids is a tutor, but you can't afford it. Right. Yeah. I mean, school is costing you $10,000 a year in taxes, but a tutor is going to cost you $140,000 a year. So, you know, it's, it's, that's the balance. Right. Well, but I that mean,
1: means the kids would actually have to listen to the tutor also, which is my <laughs> <right>. kids' problem.
2: <laughs> right. Right. But, and so, you know, that's why, um, I think that John's right. I mean, it's, it's a combination of things, but I I think you don't want, you don't necessarily need one-on-one coaching to the freshman class. Yeah, It's when you get into, you know, more advanced application and, and particularly, you know, if you're doing like a team building thing where you're bringing a whole bunch of people together, half the people don't really want to be there. And so they're just going to listen to you talk while they do email. Uh, But, the more you get into the application, the more handholding maybe you need. Yeah. And then when you get into advanced stuff, I'm working with a team right now that's met, and I, I posted about this on the community. They're They're embarking on a fairly massive uh, conversion from one platform to another. and the, and almost all of their customers are in a renewal state. So I'm like, wait, you're changing the platform during their renewal time. Uh, you <laughs> know, there's a smart. lot of opportunity for failure here, yeah. uh, and so this is a this is a one-on-one consulting thing. This is yeah. not a generic sort of, you know, hey, let's talk about migration strategy, because it's you you can't approach that problem generically. So I don't know. That was a long yeah. no, uh, non-answer
1: Steve, we've come, we've become accustomed to those, uh, you know, live product management got two votes. I don't know who voted for those, but one thing I, you know, I'll throw out there just as an idea. Is it saving if it's solving the same problem, right? I've, certification is not a professional development problem. Certification is a, you know, people want to say they've checked the box. It's not about building the skills, right? Team building, bringing my team together for something, that's a motivational and team building problem you're solving, not a product manager professional development. You may be trying to kill two birds with one stone, mm-hmm. but you know, I think there are different problems you're trying to solve. And sometimes different, different mediums are going to solve different problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but
2: also after spending a long time doing lecture style training, uh, I would never do that anymore. I mean, if I've got, even if I've got 40 people in a, you know, get together, team building, whatever, you know, I'm going to spend 15 or 20 minutes setting up a scenario and then give them 30 to 40 minutes to apply that. I mean, so even a, a a lecture style setup can become a hands-on workshop and that's been successful for me, except in one case, um, uh, in the after action re- report, I, I, I chatted with the VP, the buyer, and she said, well, you know, there was an awful lot of lollygagging around, you know, we could have done a whole lot more content. And I'm like, you know, so uh, clearly her perception was that, you know, if we had done a lecture, we could could have covered twice as much, but you yeah. wouldn't have learned twice as much. I mean, the head can only hold so much.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, let, let's talk about that learning and that transferring the knowledge into, I'm going to hide myself here for a second and make this full. So for the paper, Steve and I have been writing, we, we did some research and from a Harvard Business Review article, found this statistic that just blew us away. Only 12% of employees apply new skills learned in a training program to their jobs. You know, one in 10. Do you think this applies to product management from your experience, from what you've seen? And, and I would say that all of us on this call are probably those one in 10 because you know we're, we're, we're successful, we've made it. But from looking at teams, do you think this applies to product management? And if so, how do we fix that? How do we get product management to do a better job than, than the rest of the organization when it comes to professional development? Jason, do you have a take?
0: So I haven't really seen that, um, but you know I was just thinking about my, about my own training when this all started. And um, it goes back to something Steve said. <laughs> so Steve give you credit again sorry um so he's you know basically the same list and we're going over a lot of topics here um you have been successful to your organization if you take one or two of these topics away and do something with it and so I mean that kind of stuck with me forever and I was uh teaching actually teach at the same school as um as Rob uh He teaches in Boston, but I taught in the Chesapeake uh, campus. Um, And uh, so as an instructor, that's kind of what I would tell my students, um, the same thing, and I was teaching kind of MIS, management information systems and and database reports and such. was saying, hey, listen, if you got, just take one thing away. And so I think that, you know, you can overwhelm a lot of people with a lot of content through training. Um, But if at the end of the day, you're saying, listen, focus, if you do one thing, just go ahead and do something, go back to your office, implement one thing instead of saying, wow, there's a lot, there's all types of things I need to do. And you get overwhelmed and you just go back into what you were doing before the training. Um, and I think, you know, doing focus, you can uh, probably improve those numbers quite a bit.
1: You see, you, we need to get you a slide of from City Slickers with the guy, Jack Pounds doing the yeah. one thing and you can use that for that speech. I think that it's would about be perfect. One thing. It's about one thing. <laughs> what is that <laughs> yeah. one thing? Yeah, John, your thoughts.
3: Yeah, as I think back to my own different, I mean, I went through the three different training things uh, over the different years, Um, even like with the pragmatic thing, I didn't do all the 37 boxes thing. It was an interesting framework to hang things on, but I don't think any of the companies, even the one where I took the whole team through that uh, methodology, we didn't like do it. So it could be argued we were part of the, you know, 88% that, didn't apply the new skills. It's kind of depends on how you count that. Um, No,
1: that's actually a great framing of it because if you take, let's do some quick math, if you take three or four of those boxes and apply them, you could argue that we learned 37 boxes, we only applied four of them, that's 12%, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I don't think that's what that stat is saying. I know. But I mean, it seems, it does seem that, you know, when you go through a, any, any good training class, that you're going to walk away with something, hey, hopefully, you know, one or two things per day. But, you know, you came back and developed your user and buyer personas, you know, that's mm-hmm. a win, right? You came away with a prioritization method, perhaps, you know, that's a win. Um, and when I was designing courses for Pragmatic, and now for, for myself, I always looked at everything from the standpoint that there needs to be one Mind-blowing thing in this in this big section. You know, there can be some stories, and there can be some slides, and there can be some foundations, and there can be some definitions. But there needs to be one thing for for, uh, uh, for any yeah one one thing that you've never heard at anywhere else before. If you can,
1: that helps you apply it.
2: And yeah. I've tried to do that no, when I, I think- design courses.
1: Yeah. The ahas, these, these, these things that, that'll encourage people. Ooh, that's a great new idea. Never thought of that. Let me implement that now.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the key is to find a way to connect the content to something they can literally do. Yeah. Um, right. cause if you don't start using it, it's just an academic exercise that you make Exactly. Do.
2: And you you know, guys I did a training in California and there was a guy, an older guy, um, uh, and he and I had bonded pretty well. I mean, we're both old and nerds. And uh, we remember, you know, we we actually told some mainframe stories to one another. It was all quite exciting. And at the end, I'm doing my big wrap up, you know, my big rally, you know, it's like, hey, go out and change the world. You are somebody, you know, all that stuff. And he's sitting there with his arms crossed the whole time. and, And he said, you know, you tell some good stories, but you know, I can't do any of this. And like, you can't do any of this. Any? And you know, I actually like to think of the way I teach is largely uh, civil disobedience. You know, a lot of the things that I teach are things you can do without permission and encourage you to yeah. do without even getting permission. You know, there's yeah. nothing that prevents you from going over and talk to customer support about the top three things they hear all the time you know, there are a number of things you can do without permission. But he's like, if my management isn't on board, I can't do any of this. And I'm just like, really, I mean, you want to be that defeated, you know, and we've been in this class for two days. And he's just been sitting there the whole time going, yeah, I can't do that here. But somebody's going to stop me from doing that.
1: And we're like, wow,
2: you know, take control, man.
1: Is there like a happy ending?
2: Uh, um, Well, yes, I suppose there is. I I, I then reiterated, here are some of the things that you can do without permission, you know, blocking Tuesday and Thursday morning, so you don't have any recurring meetings, you know, um, engaging with people inside the building, even if you can't engage with people outside the building, And, and I ticked off a bunch of things and he, you know, at first he was reluctant, but then he said, Oh, you know what, a lot of those things are things I can do. Uh, But there have certainly have been times when I've said things in class and somebody in the room says, does my boss know what you're saying to us now?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, but I think there's also something in a two day lecture. It's going to be harder for people to see how they can implement it because they're not implementing it. They're not applying it. Right. We've talked often about the hands-on workshop, the coaching to get it done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've talked before about grassroots strategy. Great uh, book that I read last year. I think Steve, I got that one for you. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the way I know them is the two authors partnered with my business school marketing professor to build a strategic marketing program for Honeywell, and they called it Edu which I thought was a terrible Ugh. name. But but what yeah, they did I was agree. they did a full week, and full project teams would come in. So it's like a def- it's like a you know a project team that's working on an active DoD bid or something like that for Honeywell or a project for something else, and they'd come in and they teach them segmentation. And then they would break and they'd have a consultant with each team and they would actually take what they learned and they'd apply it. And it was go four or five days. Phil Cote. And so it was all teach, apply, teach, apply to a relevant thing with the team of people who are doing it. Phil Cote, the former chairman, CEO of Honeywell said that the programs went through that created $180 million of operating income a year. And that doesn't count the money they saved by killing, killing things.
2: That's cool. And so
1: to me, that's that's how you have to do it. You have to teach, apply, teach, apply. Well, and
2: that's certainly the approach that I've tried to take.
1: Yes, I, I completely agree. Now, one of the issues we've had is with that learning uptake. T- another issue we've had, right, let me hide myself and we can see it. From the research Steve and I did, we found there's n- no formality or alignment around product management, professional development most teams aren't working, most product management teams aren't working with HR. They're not working with the talent development organizations. Most teams don't have set budgets. Most teams, most product teams don't have set rotations. And this is a place, John, I'm going to want to get your take on Google because I know Google does a very good job with rotations for product management people and moving them around. But most companies, especially most non-Silicon Valley companies don't invest a lot in product management professional development. They don't have you know, somebody in sales knows what their track is. Somebody in sales support or marketing, there's, there's paths with where they're going to go and they give them the training and they move them there. finance other things. We did not see that from what we saw. It's an ad hoc uh, one, one off type thing. How can product leaders make product management and product management professional development, a strategic organizational priority. Everybody talks about us being, whether it's the CEO or the orchestra conductor or the, the fulcrum leverage point, whatever it is, product management makes decisions on where we focus and product management enables all the functions of the organization is to deliver. How do we go about making product management and product management, professional development, a strategic organizational priority? I'd like, Jason, I'd like to get your thoughts. I know you've been advocating for this in your company.
0: Yeah. So I think it's identifying the, you know, opportunities that, um, I guess the, you know, the problem is the same kind of thing, right? Product management pitch is the same kind of thing. So what are the problems associated with the current structure where, you know, create the dream state, like what can, what could happen um, with uh, better uh, training and professional development? And you have to just make that pitch uh, to HR and the executive teams um, and see, you know, where they're, you know, what they value and kind of just reverse that around. It's not it shouldn't be too hard and with product management to determine what the, what the executives value and how can product management improve in order to bring more value to that, you know, to, to put more meat on those bones. Um, because it could, you know, maybe it isn't more upstream and maybe it's more in the downstream side of the more tactical pieces of product ownership, if you will. Um, it really just depends per organization, but I think you just have to get you have to determine what those problems are and what the executives feel is a need, you know, for example. You know, in my previous organization, my CEO just thought, you know, we weren't um, efficient. You know, product manager team just wasn't efficient. It wasn't that they weren't doing the right things. They just thought they weren't uh, as efficient as they could be with driving the development team. So that might be something where you can make a case for um, better development within product owners, um, something a little bit more tactical versus the strategic components. Um, so you just have to you know get what that read is from your executive team to make that case.
1: It's interesting because then you think about some of the other, we, we talked about it earlier, John talked about earlier, how much money they sp- we spend on agile training and scrum training and how much money we spend on sales oh, training. It seems like, you know, uh, marketing probably doesn't get much, as much training, but accountants are always doing continuing education. Legals doing continuing education. Sales has tons of money going into coaching and sales training and sales kickoffs. Development has their agile training and other training, and they're always doing skill training. It ha- you know, part of this is maybe getting that strategic aspect of saying, hey, Product management needs to get that same type of focus and and development. I
2: wonder if the problem is a marketing problem. I mean, you've got hundreds or thousands of organizations promoting the fact that your developers are broken and they need to become agile. You've got thousands of sales training organizations promoting Your salespeople are broken. They need to have spin or uh, uh, customer-centric or solution or, you know, myriad methods. Um, I don't remember ever getting any marketing training or, for that matter, product management training. Um, And I don't know, does development do any sort of... skills training? I mean, do they, it's like, do they, does the company sponsor, we're going to be doing C-sharp skills training?
1: Or is that an individual thing?
2: Or do you decide to do that on your own? And that's kind of where I was headed. I mean, it seems like today, um, hiring managers say, I need to hire somebody who already has the skills in place, preferably with products similar to ours, so that I can use this person for their existing skill set with no grooming.
1: Yeah.
3: Which is and a yet, way to hire people because everybody wants, well, not everybody, most people that you want to hire should want growth and trajectory and, you know, future opportunities not to keep doing what I've been doing for the past three years. Absolutely.
2: Years. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that was the way I groomed my folks. And that was, where do you want to be in three years? Because, um, I you know, so I can help you get there. Because if I can't promote you into my position, I can't be promoted from my position.
1: Yeah. But and for me, I started my career post MBA at GE, and when I left GE, I said, "Gosh, I got to take my own career in my own hands." And I looked at the the roles I wanted, and in you know, head of strategy, head of business development type role, business development, the partnership alliances, not in sales. And I looked at their backgrounds. I said, "Okay, I have my market research background. I need to go get partnerships and alliances, and I need to go get product management." And so I myself said, "Okay, let me find jobs to do that." Uh, and, and build on each other, and, and let, luckily it worked. But you know, think about the ability to, to invest in your people and do it. I always thought it was a budget issue, headcount wise, right? There's ten developers for every product manager, at least, mm-hmm. right? You know, five, you know, ten, maybe five, ten salespeople for each. When you have the large scale, it's easier to invest in. You know, you feel like you're getting more for your money because there's more people. That's sort of one of the reasons I've looked at it. John, I'd love to get your take from Google, you know, who's acknowledged or at least seen as somebody who invests in the development of their product management people.
3: Yeah, I think there's two things I want to touch on. One is in the land of uh, agile training or sales training, uh, the outcomes, the changes are measurable generally, especially sales training. You use Mm -hmm. sales training and sales go up. was massive success. Um, But even with agile, you know, your velocity is, becomes more consistent or whatever, like there's ways to measure that. And then the other examples you're mentioning, the continuing education side of of things like uh, accountants and stuff, like they have certifications and it's kind of a requirement.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, So it's easier because it's like a requirement. And then product managers are sitting, you know, marketers as well, just sort of sitting saying, what about us? Yeah. So, so at Google, the way that product management gets to have sort of influence and authority and, continued development and all that stuff is because we are distinctly measured on impact. And so that comes back to the developers and salespeople getting their training and having, you know, impact that is measurable. If you can get, if you can, for lack of a better term, quantify, even if it's, you know, qualitative data, mm-hmm. the, the kind of impacts your product management people are having, and then you make a case for, and if we develop these people, they will have even greater impacts. Uh, on the company, because it's like, it's such a, as you used before, the phrase used before, it's a lever, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's an accelerant to company success when you have good product managers choosing to not use that. used that exact same word yeah. earlier
1: this week, yeah, when we're talking yeah. about it.
3: Um, and so if you, you but you, if you don't, if you don't know the kind of impact product management is having in the first place, and since it's so ill at the time, frequently people don't, that's when you don't get to have those higher level conversations.
1: And to that point, it's also... Time span, right? We always talk about bonuses for product management stuff have to do on an annual or quarterly basis because the impact we have is next year, two years out, both for development and sales, you can see it's more tangible quicker, right? You can see it that quarter, that next quarter. And so it's easier to find those quantifiable things and show immediate impact from them versus more the more longer term, right? Well, we're going to increase the success rate of our new product development initiatives by 10 percent. well it's going to take two or three years to get through that process to do it it's, it's a lot tougher with product management steve any last thoughts on this one steve
2: yeah i'm sorry i had like 16 thoughts simultaneously <laughs> and, and my brain broke down uh... Well, you know, I just—I guess I want to circle back to my original point. I mean, there's—I'm—I'm—I'm uh, um, I'm, I'm frustrated at, in that I talk to so many individuals who are like, "I need help doing understanding what my job is." I was—I was not a product manager; I was a scientist. You know, I was a developer. I was a sales rep. Uh, and they put me in this role and gave me no training. And now I'm being judged on my inability to do this job that is ill-defined and I have no training for. I mean, it's just um, imagine taking somebody and saying, hey, here's, um, here's double entry bookkeeping, you know, go. And uh, in fact, you know, in my own experience, I mean, I became a VP. I went from having zero employees to 12 employees. And I went to HR and I said, is there any sort of recommended training? And they went, you know, a lot of people like the one-minute manager. And I'm like, well, okay, what am I going to do in the next minute? You know, I know, I, <laughs> you know I, I know I'm not supposed to harass people, but other than that, I mean, are there any rules here, you know? And I was given no training at all. And I think a lot of people who have gone through training with me and the different companies I've been in, they're like, finally, I have clarity on what I'm being expected
1: to do. It, it, that's a great point, Steve, and, and you know it's the clarity in the role and the function of product management is going to be a key thing, uh, and then what, what's the right training to help you do that better once you can establish that role? That's got to be a critical thing. For it. We're going to move to the lightning round, and John, I'm going to start with you on this one based on uh, you know some of the conversation. You, you talked about the quantifying of stuff. What's the most important thing if you're evaluating a product management professional development opportunity? You have quantified the need for something. How are you going to judge, look, evaluate product development or professional development opportunities and find what, what, what's the right one? What's the most important thing to think about?
3: Uh, matching the problem that you have with the team at the time with the kind of solution that the development will offer.
1: So once you've identified the quantification, now find a solution that's going to attack, attack that one that you, that you how, how do you choose between multiple things? What's going to be the one you think is going to have the best, most material impact?
3: It ties back to which is the most, I mean, I guess, because I'm thinking back to the earlier parts we were talking about, like, if it's a brand new team, never done product management, you yeah. need to give them a framework.
1: Yeah. And then
3: you can choose any one framework that you like, probably the one you did, just because you'll have shared vocabulary with the people. Yep. Um, alternatively, if you're trying to level up an existing team, then there's a specific problem you seem to have. They don't prioritize well or, um, you know, whatever the thing is. And so then you find the best people to help you with that sort of problem.
1: So matching what the current need is to, the, to, to the, the opportunity.
3: Yeah. And ideally you find an organization that can help you across a bunch of different and you problems, can be, and you can then have a relationship ones. over time.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's great. Jason. Uh, yeah. So that's what I was um. So
0: I'm really kind of ditto what John said. I know that's um, not appropriate, but um, put an
1: and uh, on it.
0: <laughs> um, and um so uh i would also like and find um anybody else who's taken those kind of training courses and, and you know given an evaluation just talk to them to yeah. see what, what was the output i mean because with you know usually you want to know when i do like uh, evaluating design companies or something like that i want to know what the outcome the outputs are what are the tools that they provide after after everything's done the consulting engagement in this case yeah. these consulting engagement output is what people have learned and actually done in other In the organizations after they've taken those courses and so um i think the most important thing is to talk to people who have taken these uh, these professional development um,
1: training whatever that is awesome so make sure you fit it to the needs you currently have talk to people who've done it steve
2: uh yes and (laughs) you know i think that ultimately i would be evaluating on the on the portfolio of offerings, Uh, I would want to have a one-on-one coaching for my directors. And I'd want to have cohort-based hands-on for my level-up medium people. And I'd like to have a team building uh, for my junior people. And so being able to find a vendor that can do all of those things or getting a, a training course that can do all of those things. And to, to amplify what John said as well, over time, you know, yeah. um, I think a lot of times, you know what, this is just the, the uh, the difference of project and product. What happens is we do these like a project. Mm-hmm. We do a transaction, we hire a firm, they come in, they show up, they throw up and they leave. And that is the end of training transaction is done. And yet what we're looking, what we're talking about is not the project of training, but the product of training. And that is, we want to transform an organization over the space of 18 months, not over the space of 18 hours.
3: Continuous professional development versus
1: Continuous professional development. Indeed. And it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a a VP of product. I was having...
2: Go ahead. You you zoned out. (laughs)
1: I was having a conversation. I think it's my computer. Yeah. Uh, I was having a conversation with somebody this week and, and they said, are you sure you want to use the term professional development? Shouldn't you just say product management training? That's what people are searching for. And I'm like, yeah, but training is just a component of professional development. We need to be building out that full suite and we need to, to your point, I never thought of that way, Steve, make it a product. It's a continuous thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's not, a one-time project then that's wh- how you we get from one off to not so if i'm going to say what's an important thing i'm going to yes and with steve and make sure that it, they've got flexibility not only do they have a diversity of stuff but they got flexibility to pivot we all have fires that come up right and you know how well can they pivot to say oh we thought we were going to work on prioritization but all of a sudden this long-range planning came up or this persona problem came up how well can they pivot between the type of things that you need to give you the flexibility uh because there's got to be that baseline ongoing but it's got to be that be able to help you also in your m- moment of need so all right Oops. that's okay steve we we with that we are actually actually and i went to the end of the show we we're at at the end of today uh Guys, thank you so much for this great conversation on uh, professional development and product management and how we can make it better and how we can make it more important, make it continuous and ongoing. I appreciate the inputs, Jason. Thank you, John, Steve, and you guys have a great weekend. Thank you, you too. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the topic of the week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.